We're in, a, uh, we're in a series right now, and I said, you know, part of the problem with this series is, is what it's doing to me. I, um, our series is entitled Courageous Living. And so each deep as each week as I've been digging deep into this, and so much of it is kind of a reflection for me personally, because it's very hard to project things out and ask things and put things without looking in two mirrors. One is, and I mean literally, I go through this as you're reading this and you kind of go in, and I know it may sound crazy for some of you, but just stand there and look at the mirror, look at yourself, and just kind of ask yourself, how well are you doing? You know, before you go speak and before you think you're going to tell somebody else something, I mean literally, and I know it sounds crazy, but it's okay, um, just to look at myself and ask myself, how well are you doing on this? The second thing is there's always a spiritual mirror to hold up and kind of see what God's thinking of the reflection that I've got right there and what does that look like. And so as we continue this, and we're going to continue through about the end of June on this with a lot of different a lot of different approaches that we look at courageous living. Our primary scripture for this is 1 Corinthians 16, 13. And all that says, very small one, it says, be alert. If you were in Italy, they would say, stai attento, be alert. I just throw that out for you. Stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. And there's an awful lot in that one little scripture there that tells us, be alert, stand firm, be courageous and be strong. We're continuing in our series. We started last week, and today it's called The Foundation of a Christian Life. And the big idea is simply this, that courageous living has got to be built on a firm foundation of a courageous life. You know, I, I never cease to be amazed what God does, our worship team and others, and they get just a, a basic title of a message and Karis and our team, and they put that out there, and they have no idea the content of what I'm going into. And so as we do this, part of this is I'm listening to, this, I'm listening to the songs today and in worship over here, and it talks about, I'll put my faith in Jesus. He's never let me down through all generations, Right? And then it goes into the whole thing, and he sang about the rain came, the wind came, and it didn't collapse on him. And as we look at this issue of what we're talking about, the whole issue is really the foundation, and God's got a lot to say about this. And as he talked about the wind, or Caleb and, and Karis were here, and our singers taking us through, you know, the first foundation, as we look at Matthew 7, is starting in verse 24. And they had no idea I was using this. Of course, I had no idea with the song. But he said, therefore, in Matthew, red letter words, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Then the rain fell, is what Caleb's saying. And the rivers rose and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because of its foundation was on the rock. I know you heard me emphasize it and its, we'll come back, was on the rock, not a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and it collapsed with a great crush. I emphasize the two things with it, and that's important because when he says, and it didn't fall, and uses those words, 
it's referring to us that God is talking about the building of the house on the rock that is the firm foundation. And he's saying, but it didn't collapse. It is us. Because the imagery that God is giving us here is that we ourselves must build our lives on the rock, not a rock, but the rock, the only rock to build our lives on. And in doing that, when the rain comes and the winds blow, and we talk about these things, you're not going to be crumbled out of this and be crushed in this process. Does that mean it's going to be easy? Oh my goodness, no. People said, how's Billy doing? I said, she's exhausted. She's going to get to the hotel. And I was able to call ahead and say, look, can you, I just need a huge favor. You know, the normal check-in time of whatever it is, someplace halfway through the night on some of these hotels. I said, I I need you to get her in. I called very early this morning. I need you to get my wife in that room very early. And the young lady, of course, it's the South. And she said, yes, yes, Mr. Chuck, how early? You know, she's thinking maybe two o'clock. And I said, well, she can probably be there by noon. And you hear this, this pause. And then I love the South. She goes, well, Brother Chuck, I think we can do that. I just made her room number one to be cleaned, and I've already assigned it. And I said, yay, God. But this, this idea, I know she's going to get there. My wife has one of the strongest faiths of any person I know. But the wind blows. The rains come. And the whole purpose of it is to tear us apart, isn't it? And I know she's going to collapse in that room, and I know she needs the rest. There's a whole viewing this afternoon and to see her family and so forth, and then through services tomorrow. But I do know this about my wife. Because of the rock that she is built on, that girl's going to come through this like a champ. I'm telling you. And I know this to be true. My job is just to get there and love her and be a part of this with her as that happens. But that's what God's telling us here. And so that firm foundation that we've got to have is very clear. Now, here's what, here's what God tells us about the firm foundation in this. When we turn in, in God's Word, and we go over now to 1 Corinthians, and the Apostle Paul is here to the church in Corinth in the third chapter there, starting in the 10th verse. Here's what he tells us. According to God's grace that was given to me. I want to pause And I want to tell you, one of the messages two weeks ago is we talked about the grace, the incredible grace of the cross, but it's not a cheap grace that God just says, oh, everything you do is okay, but there's a process to that. And we walked through that. And I really, because of how Paul, the Apostle Paul, talks here, according to what was given to him, God's grace that was given to him, I really want to encourage you to look at that. Not because I spoke it, but because I really do think it would be helpful in that process to understand the power of that grace and what it means. But he says this, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master, a master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than the one that has been laid down, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. So when we look at this life and this foundation that we've got to have for the life that we live in and so forth, we've got to have this solid foundation that God is telling us. And I think of it this way. When he talks about this foundation that we're to build on and this illustration, in a sense, that the Apostle Paul gives us, 
He says, as a master builder, that what he's done is he's built this foundation. But he says, that foundation isn't valid unless it's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. But then he says, look, others are going to build on this. And you go, what do you mean by that? And I said, God is just using his words and the number of letters that he wrote in the, Old, in the New Testament to help us build on the foundation that God used the Apostle Paul to build on Jesus, to build here. And for clarity, it's the Apostle Paul that says, follow me, and I'll add a word, only as I follow Jesus. That's the Apostle Paul, and that's what he tells us. He says, if there's anything worth following in me, it's only because if you know for sure I'm following Jesus. And I think that's a great statement for all of us, isn't it? When we say, you know, you need to do this as I do it, and so forth. But this idea of following, and so the foundation on this thing, I look at it, and it's layers, isn't it? But when you have the firm foundation, and I look at some of these buildings, I have a good friend, and he goes, they come into buildings, and they rearrange the floors, the walls, the doors, and everything. They said, how can they do that? And I said, well, all of that's movable. What is not movable is the foundation. And so when you build the firm foundation, you can rearrange walls and you can be prepared as things change. You can be in one season and it's this, and then something else, and they say, okay, now we're going to rearrange the walls, the floor, but the foundation stays the same. It's absolutely required. You say, well, what does that mean for life for us? Well, I think as I look out here and so many of you that I know and love so well, it's the fact that, look... How many times has God added floors and layers to your foundation here? Let me give you an example. It took me a long time to get there, but this idea of my foundation being Jesus Christ, and it wasn't hard to understand it. It was just harder for me to live like that. Some of you never had that problem, but I have. But the reality of it on that, the first thing that had to happen was that I was a son of the king. If I didn't get that right, nothing else could matter. I could talk about my faith, but I had to know who I was and who I was in him, through him, and by him, didn't I? But then because of that, another layer could then be added as a husband, as Billy's husband, because I had to know that I was a son of the king, and I had to know what my foundation was that that was built on. But then I got to be a father, and that was another layer on that. So when Paul talks about, as a master builder, he builds here the foundation on Jesus, on the rock. And then all of these things can be built on this solid foundation here. And God, isn't it interesting how much fun God can have with some of this stuff with us? And you say, I never saw this coming, this opportunity, or this, or that, or whatever. But if the foundation is right... God is going to do, not only can he, but he's going to do amazing things when your foundation is Jesus Christ. There's something else about foundations as I studied here, and that is there's this thing called footings. I'm not a construction guy, not an engineer, but I did understand a little bit of this. And what footings are as a part of the foundation and they're used, really, and I'll give you the definition that I looked up in construction. The bottom part of the foundation is called the footing. The footings in construction are critical. As the footings distribute the weight of the building evenly across the entire structure so that it doesn't sink or even collapse. We'll say, but Chuck, footings? We lived in Italy for five years, 
My wife's favorite place in Italy, by the way, is Pisa, because it's exactly like you see it on a postcard. The tower, the church, the whole thing, right? Let me just tell you, if you're in Italy, you can do anything you want to do if you do it for your mother. That includes murder in many cases, you know. You do whatever you want to do. He says, it's for my mama. Per mia la mama. Okay? Niente. So I will tell you this. Literally, we go into this, and I was with my mother and my aunt. The only time they were going to have a chance to see this, and they were visiting. I didn't know as they closed. It's called the, the Piazza of Miracles right there, right? And they've got carabinieri with loaded weapons and all of it, and they're protecting all of this stuff. I didn't know it closed at night. So I drive right in with my mom and my aunt. And the carabinieri flash their lights at me. I'm a nice guy. I flash back. <laughs> Flashes his lights again. I go, this guy is so friendly. But I knew that. I live in Italy. They're all friendly over there, right? So I flash my lights back. We did this three or four times. Finally, the door opens up. The guy with his... The guy with his machine gun a little over his shoulder like this, and he's walking toward me like this. And I go, hey, he wants to meet us. I love this country. And the guy comes up and he says, hey, you can't be here. It's closed. I said, it's impossible. It can't be closed. He says, it is closed. I'm telling you. I said, no, it can't be. This is my mother and my aunt, and this is the only time they're going to see it. We leave early tomorrow morning. He goes, oh. Your mom and your aunt? He said, pull your car next to mine. I'll guard it for you. You just can't go up in the tower. It's closed. And we spent an hour there. But here's the thing. The tower kind of slants. They have a reason. They call it the leaning tower, right? You wondered where that story was coming in, didn't you? Well, it's not poor construction of the tower. The tower, I've been to the very top, and the bell's up there. The tower's great. What's the problem? The footings. And it's not just the foundation, it was the footings that were put in. Right now, there's a massive rebuild of DIA taking place. And this isn't to throw rocks at anybody, but it's taking a lot longer than they thought it would. People realize that? The problem is, is that the footings that were put in at DIA really weren't to specs. That's a shock, isn't it, that somebody cut the corners in building this? I have nothing to do with that. But they're finding that the, the cement wasn't the proper grade of cement, and the footings weren't put in properly according to specs. So now they can't just remodel the top. They've literally had to go in, and they had to now rebuild, if you will, or reinforce some of the footings. Now, I tell you all of that because when we're talking about this idea of a foundation of this Christian life, God gives us very clearly what some of the footings are that's got to be part of our foundation. It's, and again, it's the Apostle Paul. He's teaching to Timothy. And here's the story of what's happening, and it's in 1 Timothy 4, starting in the 11th verse. But let me just give you the background on this. And the background is, is that the Apostle Paul is sending young Timothy to a church that the Apostle Paul had planted. But now what's happened is, over time, false teachers have now come up into the church. So now he is sending, not himself to go back there, but he is sending this younger man, much younger man, to go back to this church, and he's got to get them back on course. Does that make sense to you? So listen to what he says, because then here we're going to understand what, what these footings look like and what the Apostle Paul is saying to him. He starts off in verse 11, he says, 
command. Now, this is Paul to Timothy. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through the prophecy and the laying hands on of the council of elders. Practice these things and be committed to these so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and the hearers. I want us to take just the first part of that because there's kind of a foundational piece before we actually get into the footings. And here's what he tells us here. I'm going to add some words to this just for clarity. It says command. And what he's saying here is not just command, stand in front of people and command them to do things. But when the word is used like that, he's commanding you to live like that because he combines it with and teach these things. So he is saying, this is how you should live so that it's evident among all, right? And this is how you should teach over here, right? And that he says then, start with how you live and how you teach. Get that right. And then he says this, by the way, no one should despise you because of your youth. Now, let me clear something up there. And this is just, I know what he's saying as an older man to a younger person. Don't let them despise you because of your youth. And he goes on and talks about the gifts and so forth, right? But I want to talk to you about two types of what we could say is youth. One is an age thing, right? We could say some of these younger people, right? Don't let them, and and frankly, as hard as the word is, the word despise there is the most accurate of the translations. There's some of the translations that kind of downplay it like, oh, don't let them look down on you. No, that's not what he said. He didn't say don't let them look down on you because you're young and you're in high school or middle school. He didn't say that. He said don't let them despise you. You understand? And he could do the same thing. So it's that age thing. But here's the second thing. And you find this happens at times, and to me, it's worse potentially than the age piece is sometimes how we treat new believers when it comes to them walking out the fullness of their gift. Well, you know you're not seasoned enough, and you haven't been at this as long as I have, and you probably got a lot to learn on this. Are you kidding me? Seriously? I mean, some of the best ministry I've seen have been done by people that have been a Christian in about 13 seconds, and they're so excited they want to take what they have right then and use it. There's ministries in India that are bringing thousands and thousands of people to the Lord, and when somebody gets to know, comes to know the Lord and prays, they send them on the street to share their testimony and pray with other people within hours of them coming to know Christ and being prayed for. And so I think there's a lot of risk that we have if we only associate that to the the issue. Now, are there things that, and I'm going to come back and wrap this back around to Summit because I got to tell you, one of the greatest things that, that I feel a huge burden on in this church is prayer, discipleship, but discipleship is utilizing the gifts that God has given you and for the reason that God has given you and that you're free to walk in those and grow in those here in this environment and what God is doing here. But then he says, here, here it is all right? Instead, you should be an example. That example means you need to model it in how you live and so forth and set the example in how you live to the believers. 
And he says, and that's to everyone who you see and sees you. Now, in these footings, he gives us some very, very specific things. First thing he says, in speech. And I know a lot of people associate, and they say, well, you know, I don't swear, and I don't use bad words. I've been around some people like that, and I said, wouldn't it be easier if you just swore and started acting like a decent human being? I mean, I might as well say it and get it out there, right? Because you get people, they want to wear that badge of honor, you know what, I don't swear, you know, or date girls that do, you know, that kind of a thing. And the fact of the matter is, that's the least of the issues. Why don't you act like a human being? Why don't you talk to people as if they have dignity and they have honor, and you respect them for who they are and who they are in Christ? Because we can do a lot of things without using profanity, can't we? And when I say do a lot of things that aren't very pleasing to God. But in this speech, in the manner in which we speak to one another, we address one another, that dignity and honor that we speak with each other, and just simple respect, it speaks volumes, doesn't it? So the first thing he said, that's a foundational, that's a footing that you've got to have in on this foundation here. The second thing is in conduct. You know, this is that double mirror. I told you earlier on this, when I say conduct, I think of words like character and integrity, trust and humility. How's your conduct? And I'm not talking about on Sunday. We all look real good today, don't we? Yeah, let's go to Wednesday and Thursday. And that's that speech and conduct. You see how they all come together? How are we treating people? How are we conducting ourselves? How are we viewed by anyone in terms of our own character, our integrity, humility? Sometimes that's kind of lost in the translation, isn't it? The next thing he says, and in love. Now get this. He is sending a young man into a den of serpents. You know, I mean, it's false teaching. That's what they're doing. And he's sending them into that. And he said, by the way, you got to love them. You know, seriously? We got to love them too? I thought you were sending me in there to correct them. I thought you were sending me to reset this church on its right path. And I can imagine Paul saying, I am and you got to love them. And to do that, we have to remember that love isn't this emotional feeling that we have. Love is a decision that we make on how we're going to treat another person or other people. That's what love is. People say, how can you say you love that guy? I said, because I do. I've made a decision in some specific things, how I'm going to treat that person, how I am going to, I, I hope, Make them feel better about themselves and why God has them on this earth. You see, that's what love really is. You know, there is that emotion that goes with it and, and with some things. But look, that's not what God is talking about here when he talks about that. And then he talks about in faith. And when he says in faith, it goes back. Remember I said the word it, that God is saying, you know, it didn't crumble. And when the storms come, its faith was built. Got that? Well, this here in faith, that is that it. That's us again, right? It's not about the faith that we profess. It's not about the faith I teach. It's not about the faith I tell people that they need to have. How are you doing? How am I doing? And living out a life of absolute faith. You know, when I say the faith thing, we talk about the song in that scripture there that Caleb led us in and the winds blew and the rain came and all of that, right? Life is tough, and it really is. 
And in the midst of all of that, how is our faith doing again on all the days that end in Y? Not just on Sunday. I got to tell you, Sundays are so easy to be good-looking Christians, aren't they? I mean, they really are. Well, at least until the service is over and you leave. But I mean, at least that part. And you find out they lost your reservation at the restaurant or something. I don't know. But you know what God is telling us here? It's not about faith as this. It's about literally all the things that are going on in our world. How are we doing in our faith? You know, some people, I think you kind of have this feeling like, boy, this world is an absolute mess. You know, and you, you hear them talking about this thing like God is absolutely shocked by this. You know, it's kind of like people have this opinion that God is in heaven looking down on this, this what is going on in our nation and around the world right now, right? And He's looking at it, wringing His hands going, wow, I sure didn't see that coming. That's how we act sometimes, that God is just shocked and thrown off course by what's taking place, right? And that we've got to wait for God to figure Himself out before we can figure ourselves out. Really? Seriously? Not only does God see what's happening, knew in advance, He wrote things about this 2,000 years ago to tell us how we were supposed to live, how we were supposed to conduct ourselves, and how we were supposed to have faith in Him. And then here's the last one here that He gives us in that string. He said, impurity. Wow. Okay. Let's clear something up. Here's one of the greatest misconceptions that we have, and that is we sometimes even state this, is that, you know, there's this issue of sex, and purity is a component of that, right? Let me clear this up for you. The issue is purity, and a component of that is sex. But purity is everything that goes on in our life. And I... You know, I tell you, as your pastor, I'm on this journey with you. And if you ever look over sometimes before I'm coming up on the platform and you see me doing Willie and the hand jive, for the four of you that know what I just said, it's really as I go down here to here to here, and I'll do this and this, I'll do this, come around here and here. And we go, Chuck, what in the world are you doing? Can't you just focus on the message and get ready for that? And I don't talk about it, I'm just telling you to tell you any purity that I had last week isn't enough to get me going this week, that it's a constant process that God has me in. And so what I'm doing is I'm saying, Father, if there's anything in my thoughts, and oh, there usually is, anything my ears have heard, anything my eyes have seen or how I've looked at something or someone, anything that's come out of my mouth or anything that I've put in, anything in my heart, any way I've touched others or been touched, anything about me, Father, that is unworthy for you to present your Word through me, please cleanse that. And God tells us in His Word that purity being restored is for the asking. And you know, so often we confuse this issue with sex and purity like they're the, both the same thing. They're not. Christ didn't go to the cross to restore virginity. He went to the cross to restore purity. 
Christ didn't go to the cross to restore the thought to restore the sexual issues and all of that only. It's the impurities in my mind. It's the impurities of what I've heard. It's the impurities of what I've seen. That's what Christ went. And God tells us that in His Word. And He goes in, in 1 John 1.9, He says this, if we confess, He is faithful. Let's just stop there. Two things. Just look at that. If we confess... He is. There's one that's waiting for us to take, take action. There's the other one that when we take action, God's already ready to do it, and He jumps in. And what I mean by that is, if we confess our sins, there is no sin so great, no sin too small. To confess that to God, He's already ready. He was waiting on us. But what does it say? He is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins. Oh, but that isn't enough, is it? Read the rest of what God does, and God restores purity. God restores purity, and from us all unrighteousness. Now you say, you know what? Chuck, you mean I got to do this regularly? I don't know. Do you shower regularly? I mean, seriously. Sounds crazy. I served in the military, and there were times I had like not certainly while I was in the field, trust me, but in garrison, it wasn't unusual. Some days you had three showers, you know. You'd get up in the morning, you'd feel good. I got a military man shaking his head. He knows exactly what we're talking about. You get out and you do PT, and I was in Savannah, Georgia in the 1st Ranger Battalion. I walked out the door and I was soaked. I hadn't done anything yet. Seriously, walking from the house to the car, you were soaked. And then you get through with that and everybody goes in, takes a shower, and you're ready for the work day. And depending on what we've got that afternoon or that morning, it wasn't unusual coming back and have another shower, and then you know you're off at home and so forth. And so people say, how often do I have to confess this for God to restore purity? How often do you wash your hands? How often do you take a shower? How often do you hear from God that says, I'm waiting on you? I'm waiting right now. All you got to do is ask. And that's what God does, and He restores that purity to us. But here's what happens then with the footings. I want to focus on three things that help us establish those footings. Three things. This comes out of the same Scripture. He says this, public reading. So he's telling Timothy in this midst, he says, public reading. I want to come back to this thing. Not all of us nor do we all stand and say, well, I need to read this out from a platform to be a public reading. No, maybe you share it with somebody else, and maybe you just speak it out loud. I'm of the opinion that one of the things that we have to do with God's Word is we've got to start speaking this out loud. We can't just sit and think about it in our chair and say, yeah, I read it. Let me just think about this. Say those words out loud. But here's the other thing. That's where community groups come in. That community groups in those smaller sessions that we read God's Word, we focus on God's Word, and we try to apply God's Word in our lives where we live and we work and we play and all of those. But he's, what he tells us that is we need to be in God's Word personally and collectively. And one of the things that we work on, anybody you hear on this platform sharing a message, It's got to be founded on God's Word, and we've got to speak God's Word out loud, don't we? It's not enough for me to tell you, here in these three scriptures, just write these down, and when you get home, right, take a look at those. But it's about us saying, we need to hear the Word of God together 
don't we? The second thing that he tells us then is to build those things is exhortation. That word exhortation, advisor, counselor, parakaleo, is, comes from the word comforter or Holy Spirit. And it's actually the word that was used when Jesus said to those in the upper room, he says, stay here for I will send to you some say a, a counselor or comforter and that. But that's that word right there. But that exhortation that we've got to have, well, that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit to us to encourage us. But I believe with all of my heart that we gather together. And one of the things that God tells us is, don't forsake the gathering of believers. We need to be here together, don't we? And part of the reason we need to be here together is to be those exhorters for one another. And by the way, it's not just all of the easy stuff. If you will look at this church on any given time, you're going to look around and see people praying for one another at the drop of a dadgum hat. You'll see it happening in our atrium. You'll see it in here before and after a service. You'll see some that's set up. But this much we know. We've got to be each other's encouragers in this process. Now, I tell you that too, that you've got to be a part of this because if there's areas in which you're battling, you need prayer, you need to be encouraged. And Travis said that so well. We are a praying church and we're going to continue to be a praying church because we see God moving through prayers and God calls us to. But you've got a role to play in this. And whether it's on a connection card, whether it's on the cross, whether it's with the prayer team, or grab somebody, said, you know, I didn't do that in there, but I could sure use some prayer. This is what's going on. And we stop and pray because that's what God has called us to do. But that's that exhortation. That's that what God is guiding us to. And then the last piece that he says in teaching. And we all have something to teach, don't we? And the idea of that and I tell people all the time you know a lot of people step up and say well I'll lead a you know a small group or this Bible study or that I said if you're just going to do it for adults that's the easy way out because we respect one another and we won't ask each other tough questions will we you know well unless you're with Chris Dodson at his group then everybody asks him the tough questions because he answers them but by and large we don't we don't do that to one another man you want to have some fun sign up for Summit kids, because kids will ask you anything. They'll ask you anything. But my point on this is, you take the little bit that you've got and you teach on that. And he's not saying that you've got to be a seminary graduate or you've got to be a Bible schooler, you know, all of the years of study. What he's saying is take what God has deposited already and teach that. Take what God has deposited and teach that. And God's gonna use you in the midst of that to do it. And you know, it's the last thing he said is do not neglect the gift that is in you. And this was really important as I looked at this because it tells through this, it says through the laying hands of the elders. Now I wanna, we've got incredible elders here. They're my friends. They're men that pray for me and my family and they pray for you. But the Bible's very clear on this. And I wanna tell you here, separate from the rest of our response, please listen. If you're sitting here today and you're struggling with the calling on your life or what your next step is, either you feel that God's calling is there, but you haven't really been able to step out a lot of different things. God's word is very clear to us. Find an elder. I'll tell you this. Our elders are here today at each side when our prayer teams are there. There will be elders there, and if there's not an elder right there, we know how to get to them. 
You ask an elder to lay hands and pray for you about the calling on your life, what God's leading you to. Whether you're sure and you just need direction with it or next steps. But I believe so strongly in the importance of elders praying for us and over us and laying hands on us. And again, I mean, this isn't, this isn't certainly about me. I'd not, I don't know that I've stepped onto this platform in now nine months without asking an elder to pray for me in the service because it's that important to me to have the covering, the wisdom, discernment, and the prayers of the elders of this church. Now I'm telling you, if you're sitting here today and there's a struggle in your world, why am I here? What should I be doing? Next steps, the calling, or the lack of the clarity of the calling, my encouragement to you is, when you go to a prayer table over here with our team, say, I want an elder to pray over me, specifically on the calling in my life. And the nice thing about that is, I can give you absolute assurance, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they will pray for you. But let's come back for just the final thing, and it says, the gift that is in you. I know that Paul was talking to young Timothy but I read this, and these are God's letters to us for right now. And so as I say, get an elder to pray with you, our prayer team to pray. Let's take this word as a very definitive statement from God's word. Not the gift that could be in you, in you or the gift that you can purchase over here. But God is saying, the gift that is in you. There's not one of you today that's here, here by accident. There's not one of you here today that doesn't have God's hand on you with a purpose and a calling on your life and to do so, he's already prepared gifts there. And that takes us back to our growth checks, that takes us back to the need for community, and really more importantly, the need to be family. I shared with our dream team as we got started here, before many of you came in, there were people praying in this church, gathering and praying for you. But we talked about the importance of being family. And there's some things that maybe you haven't stepped forward on because there's been places you've been where the word family is used, but it's not really felt. You know what I mean? Where they talk about being a family there, but you don't really feel much like family, right? We're working very hard, not just to use the word family, but that we come in and we act like family. We treat each other like family and we respond to each other like family. And by the way, Christy, you're watching from Egypt. You're still family in Egypt. Stay with me, we'll see you next week. Because we are family. We've gotta live and love and work with each other as family. I'm gonna pray and close this, and then I'm gonna walk us through our response time. I believe that if we don't have this foundation firm with those footings in it and you're struggling, come as family for prayer, response, and we'll walk through that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you, Lord, and we praise you. We do, Father. We lift you up. Father, your word tells us that we've got to have a foundation built, not just any foundation, but a foundation built on the rock, the rock of your son, Jesus Christ. 
So Father, as we walk through this time together to live courageously, Father, we wanna build a firm foundation that gives us the strength to live courageously. I pray for everyone here, Father. I pray, Father, that you would meet us individually at our point of need and allow us to respond to you in any area of our life that you're tugging at us. I ask your blessings over this church. I ask your blessings over Summit as we get ready to go into the annual meeting and the bright future I believe that you have for us, Father. So, Father, we thank you. We praise you. Father, help us to worship and live out our faith in a manner that brings honor and glory to you only in the days that end in why. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all of God's family said, Amen.